Welcome to Chatsunami. Hello everybody and welcome to the special spooky edition of Chatsu Shorts. In this episode, I'll be discussing the 2013 survival horror game Outlast. This episode will contain spoilers to the first game, as well as themes that some people may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. For the longest time, I've had a complicated relationship with horror in video games. Growing up in the 90s and the early 2000s, the world of horror games was an area that was closed off to me, thanks to the diligence of my watchful parents. If the game was rated an age older than I was, then my only hopes of getting my hands on playing such games would be at a friend's house. But that's not to say that my own experience of video game horrors were non-existent. After all, I vividly remember being terrified of the trolls in the first Harry Potter game. Their twisted yet pixelated visages burned into my mind. But as I got older, I found myself watching the rise of Let's Players, who would actively seek out and play games that would have caused my younger self to flee in horror, from the darkened corridors of amnesia to the ominous woods of Slender. But one such game that gained notoriety in 2013 was the first-person survival horror experience Outlast, developed by Red Barrels, one which I dared not play until I got the chance to livestream it myself many years later. But why did this game strike fear in me back then? What lay behind the digital doors of Mount Massive Asylum? And does the game still hold up 10 years later? Without any further ado, grab your batteries and let's investigate. This game has you assume the role of Miles Upshur, an investigative reporter who decides to break into an abandoned mental asylum because hey, everyone needs a hobby, right? After grabbing his camera to no doubt become the next content creator to feature in a true crime podcast, you're told straight off the bat that you're not a fighter. This sets the scene perfectly as you'll be spending the majority of your time LARPing as an Olympic sprinter within the asylum's narrow halls as you navigate deeper into the bowels of the derelict building. Much like other games of the genre, you would have to be vigilant of threats that lurked in the shadows, from those driven to madness by living here, to the more intelligent figures pulling the strings in the background, who would rather see your body twisted into a demented Etsy sculpture instead of seeing you alive. This ranges from a hulking strongman called Chris Walker, who refers to you as a little pig, to the demented Richard Traeger, who took the phrase cut and paste to a disturbing level. After succeeding in escaping from naked men, ghosts and a demented priest, and what could possibly have been the raunchiest idea for a Scooby-Doo episode, our plucky reporter makes it to the basement, where he discovers the truth of the asylum. A sinister spectre awaits us, and after a rather one-sided fight, you try to escape to salvation, only for the woeful wall rider to take over and dispatch your final obstacle. Story-wise, most of the usual tropes are here. You have the strongman villain that shows up sporadically to kill you in just one hit, the religious fanatic who seeks to show you his truth, and the science experiment gone horribly wrong. Yet, for the majority of the game, you feel the true horror and hopelessness of your situation. As stated before, you're not some special forces badass with a license to kill. Your only hopes to save yourself is to find the truth behind what is going on, and the atmosphere built throughout is done fantastically. 
The sound design is excellent as it creeps and crescendos into a horrifying harmony of stress as you're forced to run when spotted by the denizens of Mount Massive Asylum. And I must say, despite some of its grotesque presentation at times, it does use the environment well, much like everyone else. You're forced to scavenge for batteries to power the night vision on your camera, your only way to see in the darkness. It's an excellent way to incorporate the character's sense of helplessness in the search of the truth. However, while I will say that the story and setting gripped me during the time spent in the asylum, that all changed once I descended into the basement of the facility. The building was crafted in a way that made you wary of every creak you heard from behind, every wail and musical cue warning you to get out of harm's way. And yet, it was replaced with sterile white walls and a ghost plucked from German folklore which, while admittedly cool, didn't measure up to the horror from above. The ending is unfortunately lacklustre as you're forced to find the controls to shut down the source of the wall rider's power which in turn leads you to being possessed. And while an interesting concept, you're then robocop by a team of private soldiers sent by the Murkoff Corporation to tie up any loose ends. Combine that with a Sopranos fade to black and you get an ending that admittedly leaves you wanting more. And surprisingly enough, we do get a follow-up to the game with the DLC whistleblower that puts you in the shoes of, well, a whistleblower, who is caught by the Murkoff Corporation and is then forced to escape the asylum, all the while trying to evade his own set of horrors. And while I haven't played it for myself, I'm aware it ramps up the gore and shock value to a ridiculous degree. But in spite of that, it does give us a somewhat sense of closure to the fate of Miles Upshur and his new ghost pal. And what happens to Miles, you may ask? Does he set off into the sunset to solve mysteries? Or perhaps he decided to star in a mediocre David Cage game? And to all five of you out there who got that reference, I appreciate you. But surprisingly enough, while the developers initially confirmed that he was dead, writer for the series JT Petty stated in a 10 year anniversary video that he believed Miles was potentially alive due to the effects of the Wall Rider. While the Wall Rider themselves, well that's a bit stranger. In the Murkoff account comic, it's revealed that the ghoulish force decided to possess a colony of ants that would go on to destroy a Murkoff controlled radio tower, which would then kick off the events of the sequel. In the words of a famous reporter, And I for one welcome our new insect overlords. As for the gameplay itself, while I praised it for being a terrifying experience and the way it forced the player to run away from their problems, oh my god it's literally me, it became frustrating when there wasn't even a push or kick function to defend yourself with. I could understand not being able to defend yourself against the beefy Chris Walker, but come on, you're telling me I couldn't take on one of the emaciated residents? Come on coach, I'm ready. Jokes aside, Outlast does suffer from some repetitiveness that detracts from the overall horror, which is not exclusive to this game. But when you die for the third time because you keep taking a wrong turn, your fear turns to annoyance and eventual frustration. It's certainly not as bad as something like Five Nights at Freddy's, but uh, it's close enough. One more thing that I would have to bring up about this game is its level of gore. I know this is a weird one to mention, but 
This is certainly one of these games that will have you wincing at some of the violence that would not look out of place in a Saw film. But when you see things like the pile of bloody corpses and body parts that are better inside than out, you find yourself wishing that they stuck to more of the atmospheric horror that builds up suspense rather than slapping you in the face with a spleen and then calling it a day. Sadly, it's a problem that's intensified tenfold in the DLC and even more in the sequel. It reminds me of what my friend Adam said after playing the sequel. After being struck in the crotch with a giant crucifix, where are you supposed to go from there? So with all of that out of the way, does Outlast still stand the test of time 10 years later? Well, surprisingly, I would say yes. Despite its shortcomings, the game did cause me to scream several times with its jump scares, all to a live audience might I add. The atmosphere was great for the most part, and even being unable to fight back added to the helplessness you felt as a character. The game isn't perfect, and given its crazy ending and violent tendencies, this is most certainly not for everyone. But at the same time, there's a reason that so many Let's Players were drawn to this game. It is by all means an unsettling experience that can be dusted off if you have a spare 3 or 4 hours to give. I would be lying if I said this game didn't unsettle me. After playing it in celebration for reaching 600 followers on Twitch, it quickly became one of my favourite experiences during my time there. Every scream from the game's stellar jump scares left me, while admittedly rattled, wanting to see the experience to the end. So if you've got the stomach for such a game, I would wholeheartedly recommend the first game. Horror fans and horror curious alike, this is one experience you will not forget. So what did you think? Did you enjoy this game? Or did it not land right for you? Please feel free to reach out and let us know. Thank you for listening to this episode of Chatsu Shorts. If you would like to watch the full compilation video of me playing through Outlast, then you can check it out on our gaming channel, Chatsu Plays. If you want to experience the full playthrough in its entirety, then head over to patreon.com slash chatsunami. On that note, I want to give a huge shout out to our Pandalorian patrons, Robotic Battle Toaster and Sonya. Thank you so much for supporting the show. If you want to check out more of our horror-themed episodes, as well as episodes in general, then you can check us out on our website, chatsunami.com, as well as all good podcast apps. But as always, stay safe, stay awesome, and most importantly, stay hydrated. <laughs>